Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest of fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work. This is a very special time. The month of October, when we start to look ahead to the remainder of 2022 and even beyond into 2023. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Cynthia Covey Holler. Cynthia is an author, a teacher, and a great speaker. She has contributed to several books, including the six most important decisions you'll ever make. She is also the co-author with her late dad, Stephen R. Covey, of the inspiring book, Live Life in Crescendo, your most important work is always ahead of you. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Cynthia. Greg, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on your show and I've looked forward to speaking with you. Ah, the honor is very, very much yours. Kindly tell the listeners and me from what city and state you're speaking from this morning, please. I live in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah, really close to the mountains, which we love. You've just made this host and a whole lot of listeners <laughs> jealous. We understand it's really God's country out there. It is. Rocky Mountains are beautiful. Uh, Cynthia, sadly to say, we've only got about 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about your life, your late father, all the books you've contributed to this fabulous book. We're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. You co-wrote this great book. Live Life in Crescendo with your father, who passed away, sadly, about 10 years ago. How did this book initially come about? Well, it's a it's a, a great story for me because it brings me back to years ago when my father and I spoke and I said to him, are you, um, are you, I foolishly said to him, are you ever going to write anything like The Seven Habits that will be as successful as that? And he said, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? He said, why do you think I get up every day? Am I one and done? Have I just give one, I just write one book and I've got nothing else to offer. You know, he's, I have a lot of other books in my head. I have a lot more to contribute. And it got me thinking about that. And he said, so I, he had talked to me about his personal mission statement, which, it, which was the last 10 years of his life, live life for crescendo. And so I offered 
to help write some of those stories so he could bring this about. And he was, he took me up on that and he said, I'd love you to help me. And so we, um, I interviewed him. He had so many other projects and things going. So I said, I'll do most of the legwork. And so uh, we did that the first few years. I interviewed him. I have I have a bunch of kids and some other responsibilities. And I, I we got distracted and I wasn't able to finish. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, much earlier than we thought at, at only 79. He was healthy oh. and, and strong, but he unfortunately passed away. And so um, we had talked about that I would finish this book. And so this has been a great journey for me to uh to honor him and to hopefully be a faithful translator of his vision for Live Life from Crescendo. What a great honor this is that you've given your late dad and shared with the world. And it's interesting you mentioned the seven habits. Uh, I'm you're speaking of the book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's amazing. Uh, I teach a class on Franciscan career transformation. And I talk all the time about this great book and people that I know talk about it all the time. So the legacy of your great dad lives on through the seven habits, but many, many other books, including this great one you've written here. Please, please help us out, Cynthia. What does it mean to live life in crescendo? And what connection does this subtitle have, please? Your most important work is always ahead of you. What yes, <laughs> that that from this from the example I shared at the beginning, when I kind of semi insulted him by saying, is this all you've got? Uh, this is how he felt. He thought that uh, live life in crescendo. If you think of the musical symbol, <coughs> sorry, of a crescendo, which is it, the sign is that it goes outward. It starts at a point and goes out and it increases a crescendo in music increases in energy, in volume, in power, and keeps going. The lines keep going out. And the opposite is diminuendo, which that's the opposite sign. It means that it starts to slow down in energy and power and fades off and eventually comes to a stop. And so his personal mission statement, Live Life in Crescendo, he felt like, I still have a lot of important work ahead. And that is what we developed the crescendo mentality, meaning that despite what you've done in the past, your past successes or failures, you get up every day with the thought, I, I still have a lot of work to contribute. I still have a lot to give to my family, to my community, to those around me. And he was not done with that. He kind of uh, started this book when people started asking him at about my age, are you, are you about done, Steve? Are you going to just teach and write a few more years? And he thought, why would I retire now? I've got so much passion still and so much more to contribute. My most important work still ahead. And so that's kind of the, 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 the title and the subtitle really uh, interconnect and are, are important to understand the crescendo mentality of thinking. I want to make sure, Cynthia, I understand this correctly because your dad had so much success, so many achievements, not only professionally, but having a beautiful marriage for many, many years, having wonderful children. Thank you. <laughs> children, certainly like yourself and your brother that I had on earlier this year. And so I can't believe that he actually, in his later 70s, 
is saying my most important work is a <laughs> And, it, and it, it, it was, I mean, look at this book I'm bringing, I had to live in crescendo myself to finish the book because I had so many obstacles and setbacks and I was writing, you know, sometimes till two and three in the morning when I have little kids and grandkids and thinking, am I going to get a publisher for this? Is this going to come about? But I was so motivated by his goal of still contributing. And here he's, he's gone to the next life and he's still, he's still contributing. He's living in crescendo through me and through this book and through your listeners. If they adapt this crescendo mentality paradigm of believing that despite setbacks, despite life-changing things that happen, despite being stuck maybe in a midlife uh, rut, or despite maybe a lot of success, you still keep looking ahead to what's coming. And he really started this whole idea because of um, my last, we touch on four things, four stages and ages in the book. And the last one is the second half of life, which is as you start getting older, that you decide to yourself, um, am I, what am I going to do? Am I, if I'm going to retire from a job or am I going to keep working or what? And my father believed that, um, that society has the false dichotomy of that choose between retiring or keep working. And he said, the third alternative is make a contribution. So he said, you may retire from um, a job or a career, but never retire from making meaningful contributions to others. And so that was inspiring to me. And um, I feel like his his work still lives on. And the same for all of us. We still all can, despite what we've been through, can uh, go on and accomplish awesome things. An example, um, Nelson Mandela. I mean, look at him getting out of prison at 71 years old after, you know, being in prison 17, 18 years there. And he comes out and you think, well, he's an old man. He's 71. What can he do? But yet four years later, he's the, the um, he's eliminating apartheid and he's the first uh, black president of South Africa with de Klerk, who was the president as his vice president. Now oh. he's under him. And what, you know, his life expanded in crescendo. It didn't it didn't go into dominiendo. So that's just one example. That is really amazing. This whole concentration, if you will, emphasis on contribution. You know, how Franciscan this is. And the irony in a couple of days, the great feast day of St. Francis of Assisi coming up. With the timing of you being with us this morning on Thank God for Monday, Cynthia, could not have been more perfect. That's for sure. Now, you mentioned Nelson Mandela. Is there another person a practical example of someone you admire that lives in crescendo that you might want to share with us this morning? Well, there's so many. Uh, I, I think that we could all think of a lot of people. I'm thinking of um, John Wood, John Wooden, the great, um, oh, the great coach. Wow. So here he has one of the greatest careers. He's called one of the greatest coaches of all time. <clears throat> and yet when he retired, he said, he said, basketball is nothing compared to being a teacher. And he spent the next third of his life mentoring, being a mentor and a teacher and contributing in so many ways by, I mean, he died at 93 or four, um, right up to his death. He was giving many keynotes of the year and meeting with past players and other people that needed mentoring and writing books and lecturing. So he felt like my greatest work was still ahead. 
And that oh. was what could compare to being a mentor and shaping young lives, which was oh. what a contribution. Oh, uh, John Wooden. I think they used to call him the wizard of Westwood. Yeah, I love that. So what, what, what a good person. No, no doubt about that. Now, I'm sure your father practiced this crescendo mentality. It seems like he did, certainly. Did you want to give an example or two further from his great life? Well, he did. He, um, he, his goal when he graduated from, from Harvard Business School, his brother said, what do you want to do? And he, he said, I want to unleash pot uh, potential. I want to unleash human potential. And so he started that by becoming a teacher, which he felt was the greatest thing. What, you do, what you're doing in your ministry and what the Franciscans do, mentoring and teaching <laughs> and blessing others' lives through their <clears throat> teaching about contribution and giving service. What a, what a mission you have. And that the Franciscans that, have and contribute to this society. We really value it. But um, <laughs> thank sorry, you. I've, thank you very much for those kind compliments. But in his own and, life, um, at one point, he was teaching at a university and he had taught for 20 years. <laughs> wow. 20 years your dad taught. I didn't realize that. Right. And he uh, he loved it and he was enjoying it. But he felt like he felt like that he wanted to take his ideas and most of them were what became the seven habits of highly effective people. He felt like I want to take it to uh, organizations and businesses and places where they can actually apply it in real life rather than in academics and which is academics is an awesome preparation to do that. But he had done that for so long. And so he was kind of a little bit, I talk about a midlife um, stage. Some people feel stagnant or frustrated and they're maybe they're in their fifties, sixties, and they're not where they thought they should be or where they had a goal to be. I mean, we all have kind of felt that. Sure. So uh, this is the idea of living in crescendo that this mentality that, okay, you, if you are in a rut, if you feel like, like my dad did, I feel like I, I have more to do and contribute, you know, take take initiative and, resp and responsibility for it and act. And so he took a leap of faith and left a secure job and salary uh, with my mom's approval. The two of them took a big leap and started their own, started uh, Stephen Covey and Associates, a consulting firm. He had wow. to put his house in Hawk. We have, I'm the oldest of nine children. And so we, we had to uh, tighten the belts for a few years and he did this but felt like I my life is going to expand I've got to take this risk and this leap oh. and do something different and that launched his speaking and writing career what he would and reaching far more people than he than he would have had he stayed in teaching at one university and so oh. that's an example of just um, increasing in 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 crescendo and uh, continuing to contribute in different ways that he hadn't earlier. That is an amazing story. And you being the oldest of the nine, you saw this firsthand. I did. I saw their stress and worry of, of wow. you know, having their house in Hawk and taking a leap. But they felt like this was important and something that they that, that felt like they should do to increase um, effectiveness and to reach more people in his case. Oh, the courage that he and Tom certainly evidenced changed the world for so much the better. Now, I'm very curious. People must know you're writing this book. Does anybody ever come up to you who's been very successful? They've reached a pinnacle of success. 
and say, I've already contributed <laughs> to living crescendo. Does anybody ever do that? How do you? Really <laughs> do that? Well, that's that's the that's kind of the natural thing, and maybe the tendency. You think, okay, I've worked my whole life. <laughs> you know, I want to retire. I want to travel. I want to spend time with my kids and grandkids. I want to do hobbies. That's awesome. That's that that's something that you should do at this stage. But the idea of you may retire from your job and career. But don't contribute from making, don't stop from making contributions to your family. Maybe your daughter is going through a divorce that's really difficult and you've got grandkids to nurture. Maybe your uh, community uh, needs help, you know, working for the homeless. Maybe your church organization needs a teacher or somebody to mentor young kids. And so you look around you in your circle of influence and you think, you know, I have been successful. I've done this. And I've accomplished a lot, but I have, I'm at the point of life where I have so much to offer. When you think about if you've been successful or you're in a later stage, you've got more money than you ever did, more time, more resources, more connections, more, um, more abilities and skills you've developed over a lifetime. And what a perfect opportunity to share those with your, your family, your community, your world, wherever you see, wherever you see a need. Um, it's like the idea of if you're driving in a car and um, you're looking over your shoulder all the time at what's behind you, or you're looking in the rear view mirror. So what would happen to you with your car? You'd end up in a ditch. And so oh. you've got to avoid the tendency. My father talks about don't look in the rear view mirror at your past successes or even at your past failures. Look ahead at what's coming and ask the question, what can I do next? What do I have to offer? Wow, oh, that is absolutely amazing. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we know our lives aren't only great celebrations, but sometimes there's life-changing experiences, there are tragedies. How does one, help us out please, Cynthia, live in crescendo when facing a life-changing experience, a tragedy? How do you do it when you're suffering great loss and pain. Is this possible even? That, you know, that's one of the hardest things in life, isn't it? Life changing setbacks that we all experience, some more horrific than others. I just want to share with you briefly a story of a man named Ray Hitton, who in 1986 was convicted of killing two people uh, that he had nothing to do with. He was in a lockdown facility at work 15 miles away, and this was in Alabama. He lived in a um, kind of a racially charged uh, um, system there, and he was basically pinned. They, they couldn't find who did it, and they just framed him, and he oh. went to jail for these two murders that he didn't commit. So here is a good person who trusted in the legal system and thought, I'm innocent, I'm going to be set free, and he finds himself um, literally in on death row. He oh, ends up getting the goodness. death penalty. And he is so, he, talk about starting to live in Dominiendo. He had such a, a normal life going. And all of a sudden, he's, he's accused of this. And he's living in death row. Um, and he decides, I'm, he's so upset and has lost his faith. He throws his Bible under his bed, his prison bed. And he shuts oh. down. He's in Dominiendo. He doesn't, he decides not to speak to one person or any guards or any cellmates or anything that are near him for three years. 
except for his family and friends that come visit him, he shuts down. And then one night he is uh, in the middle of the night, he hears somebody crying and sobbing in the, in the cell next to him and something in him awakens and he breaks and he realizes that he has compassion for this person who's suffering and asking for help. He breaks his three years of silence and, and talks to him and finds out that this man just found out his mother had passed away and just got the news oh. and he's devastated and can't, doesn't feel like he can go on. So he spends the next few hours speaking to a complete stranger in the, in the cell next to him, comforting him and listening to him tell about fun and wonderful stories and experiences of his mother. Oh. And he, from that point on, he decided <clears throat> he was surprised to find out I can't choose that I'm on death row, but I can choose how to respond to it. He said, I still have, I can choose hate and despair, or I can choose compassion and love. I still have choices, even on death row. And so that little bit of, of circle of influence and concern, he decides to expand and he begins to live in crescendo a little bit in, in on death row. And he becomes a light and a beacon to those around him and even to the guards who he um, who he um, speaks with and has good humor and gives hope. He grabs his Bible under his bed that's been there dusted off oh for three years and renews his faith and his belief that he that he knows that he's innocent and the hope that one day this will be made known. So he continues like this for uh, 14 years. Uh, you know, it was, it'd been three years, 14 more years. He's still in the same situation, but yet he forms a book club. He forms friendships. He gives hope and light to his cellmates. And then he gets the legal help of, uh, he's blessed to have Brian Stevenson at Equal Justice Initiative. He's the man that you might've heard of the movie, Just Mercy or the book, Just Mercy. Okay. <laughs> he becomes his advocate and takes his case um, to the Supreme Court of the United States, and they acquit him of all charges. He's one of the longest condemned men who, who will um, be under, under execution, and he's free at last. He comes out and says to his family and friends gathered, it's been almost 30 years, and he says, the sun does shine. And he, oh. he goes on three years later to write a book called The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, becomes a New York best time seller and he and his life is expanding here he's he said I've lost my 30s my 40s my 50s but they can't take my joy and he oh. is a, now an advocate for other people that have been unjustly condemned and imprisoned and he's a speaker he's an advocate he works with Brian Stevenson his life is expanding in crescendo all because he chose to how he's going to respond to what happened to him and increased his circle of influence. I love this story. I'm so inspired. Oh, by thank it. you so much for sharing it. It's so inspiring to us all. And what's wonderful, as you say, he was unjustly charged, didn't have control over that. But as you say, how he responded, he did have control of, and he changed the world as a result. Now, time is getting short, sadly, Cynthia. We've only got about seven minutes, but I got a couple of still important questions for you. Great. Used a couple of times the phrase circle of influence. What does it mean to help others within a circle of influence? What is a circle of influence? How do you even get started with this, please? 
um, circle of influence, just like Ray did, is is just right around you. His was very limited because he was in, in prison. So his was the inmates and the guards. But as he reached out and expanded it, it grew to some of the prison officials. And also he started a book club. He started speaking. Uh, he got permission to meet uh, in the cafeteria and do more. And so the idea that to, to wherever you're at, say you're in a neighborhood that um, isn't very friendly, or maybe it needs to be, um, maybe the uh, dynamics of it is untrustful. And so you, just with what you can do, just inviting somebody over, uh, making a couple friends, extending yourself, um, seeing a need in your family, maybe somebody, a grandchild is really struggling with a drug addiction, that you reach out to him and you pray for him and you and you uh, offer help and maybe take him to, to get some assistance. Uh, maybe you would expand with uh, your business or your any anything anyone who is around you that's your circle of influence and as I mean a circle of concern and as you act on it and serve and look outside yourself that your circle of of um, concern expands to your circle of influence and pretty soon it grows larger just like wow. Mandela did as well how his filled the whole world where you know coming out of prison at seventy one his influence was very small. And so you just take what you have. I think Roosevelt said, do what you have, what do what you can with what you have where you are. Oh, and so that's how you start. Thank you. That is so beautiful. What do you want readers to take away from this great book, Live Life in Crescendo? Are there one or two really key messages, Cynthia? I would love them to take um, take hope that uh, their life, if they feel like they're in a rut, if they feel stagnant, if they've had going through a setback and a challenge right now, I'd like them to feel like I have better things ahead. Life will get better as I act upon it, as I respond positively, as I choose to do what I can with, with what I have, even though the limit, the, the resources are small or the choices may be few. So hope and, um, um, I hope that it will inspire them to um, believe that their most important work is still to come, that you may be 70, 80 and feel like you're not useful. One woman was was listened to a lecture by a homeless advocate and raised her hand and said, I'm in my 80s. I have a limited income. How could I possibly make a difference? Wow. And, this, and, and this woman said, can you donate one can of soup a week? And he said, imagine a mother, a single mother feeding her children with this can of soup of yours that you donated. And over the years, um, think of how many how many um, cans of soup she donated in her 80s with a limited income. So I oh. hope it will inspire you to do what you can with what you have and that um, that you will expand your life through the crescendo mentality, which is you have a choice every day. Am I going to live in crescendo or I'm going to choose to live in dominiendo? Mm -hmm. Identify it and act in a way that your life can still grow and expand and you'll have a lot of influence and you'll find happiness and joy. That's where true meaning is found, as you know, in your work. Absolutely. This is really amazing. No doubt about it. In the last three minutes, we're certainly going to share with listeners where they can find this book. But I ask one final question before that, please. You are just a radiance of joy. 
this book must have been so wonderful, so joyful for you to write. Was there one most thing that you enjoyed about writing this book, uh, Cynthia? I think um, uh, the relationship with my father that it ignited again and that I felt like he's still here, you know, he's, oh. he's still around me. I felt his presence many times when I was his influence and what he wanted to say while I was writing. Sometimes I would write something and put it in a different file <clears throat> and then later on come back and write it and I'd find out it was the same thing. I wrote the very same thing. I felt um, that that it's been a good connection for us and that I hopefully have been a faithful translator of his vision and what he wanted oh. to get out. This message of hope and inspiration that mm. that life could be good, even though it's hard. And even though we have challenges that you still can contribute to others' lives. And in the, time, in the meantime, find happiness. Uh, oh. There's a great quote just to end on that says by Pablo Picasso, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Oh, on this Feast of St. Francis of Assisi coming up, how perfect that is. No about it. We've saved the most important question for last, Cynthia. I know this book just came out a couple of days ago. From where can our loyal listeners purchase Live Life in Crescendo? Oh, I appreciate that, Greg. We really would like to get this message out. Um, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's at any major bookstore. I have a, I'm on LinkedIn, Cynthia Covey Haller. Um, I'm also have a um, Cynthia Covey Haller Instagram, and I'd love to connect with you or with anybody about this. Um, I, I get, I get, as I'm getting the word out about this, since the book has just been released, I've had many people say, I enjoyed your father's seven habits, or it helped me so much in my life. And this, this to me is one last um, message and hope for, for people that life life can still be great and you can still live in crescendo despite what you're going through. No doubt about that. Listeners, do yourselves a favor. This again is the week of St. Francis of Assisi's feast day. Hope, inspiration. This is the place to get it. Live life in crescendo. Pick up one for yourself, but we here on Thank God for Monday, the Franciscan way is to share the good. Pick up an extra copy and give it to someone that you can provide hope to, that you can provide inspiration to, so they can look at their lives and do exactly what Cynthia has been talking about today. Enhance their contribution because everybody's got so much to offer and there are so many needs still in the world today. Cynthia, we can't thank you enough for being our special guest on Thank God for Monday today. All the best with this fabulous book and all these other great responsibilities of yours. And we wish you continued joy, happiness as we look forward and continue living our lives in crescendo. You've been Thank you, Greg. To us I, today. I, I admire your work and appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so uh, much for your that, contributions. That, that is the very, very least. Listeners, sadly, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Cynthia does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Well, until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday, enjoy your week and enjoy the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. God bless everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.